I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. It is trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on today's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about a couple things here, a little bit more video game heavy talk, and then um, some talk about Titan Season 1 since Pat has finally uh, gotten a chance to watch some of it. And then we're going to move in. I know we're a little bit late on on the uh, bandwagon here, but we're going to be talking about our review of, of Joker, which just recently cost, uh, crossed a billion dollars earned in the box office, which makes it the highest, uh, grossing comic book, a uh, rated R comic book movie, uh, in the industry. So, um, with that said, we're going to talk, uh, on the video game side of things, we're going to be talking about Hideo Kojima's, uh, new game, death stranding. I have some, thoughts on that and um and then we're going to be talking a little bit about the google stadia launch which is coming on tuesday and then we'll start moving into some other stuff so pat how are you doing today oh not bad what uh which one did it knock off as the top grossing was it deadpool or deadpool 2 i believe deadpool 2 was the highest grossing before that I, I believe I might have that uh, a little bit wrong. Maybe it was the first Deadpool. Yeah, so um, I I've, actually am I'm pretty happy that uh, Joker kind of dethroned a, a Marvel movie, considering the uh, crap that DC gets um, for its films. So uh, I'm really excited to be talking about it uh, later on here in the show, but um, before we do that, we're going to talk about, uh, Death Stranding. Are you familiar with Death Stranding at all? Only that, uh, Norman Reedus is like one of the, uh, characters. He is the main character. For it. <laughs> he is, he is the main character. He, uh, he is, uh, Sam Porter Bridges. Um, and I think that that kind of came out of the whole, uh, thing with uh, Kojima was uh, doing a Silent Hill reboot game and he had done a demo and uh, Norman Reedus was going to be the main character in that one. Um, and after that, uh, with Konami uh, and Kojima splitting, uh, that got canceled because uh, Del Toro was going to be um, uh, producing that video game as well. And uh they they just kind of I, I don't I, I don't know specifically what caused the split. I do know that uh, uh, Konami was um, kind of um, stifling uh, Kojima's uh, vision and 
They were stifling uh, a lot of his vision, and I, I know that there was problems with Metal Gear Solid Five and uh, um, with Ground Zeroes and Phantom Pain, um, that they were really kind of asserting their uh, authority and control over him, and he just wanted to make his video games without any type of restrictions. And so Death Stranding kind of became that once he split, and he kind of started... I think he started his own studio or he uh, he's partnered with someone that is allowing him to do that. And I know Del Toro, uh, Guillermo Del Toro actually um, is a character within the in this game. He plays, uh, I believe, Dead Man. Um, and it, and it's it's really interesting to see him on on screen for that. Um, so we're going to play a little bit of the trailer for this. Uh, the launch trailer is is pretty long. Um, so. Uh, we're only going to play a couple minutes of, of that trailer here. BB, don't worry. It's okay. I'll always be with you. So this game is um, is really interesting in the fact that I think it's very polarizing. And, and Kojima was just recently, I think, taken a little out of context. Um, he was commenting on the kind of mixed reviews um, for the game uh, because he believes that, like, Americans are more interested in, like, first-person shooters like Call of Duty, like we talked about last week. And I don't necessarily think he's wrong in that. Um, there, there seems to be kind of this proliferation of, of battle royales or first-person shooters, even third-person shooters, where uh, that's more of the focus of the gameplay. And Kojima's always kind of been a, a story-focused um, uh, video game developer. And I know when I go into playing a Kojima game that it's it's not going to be easy it's not going to be easy to understand. And, um, I think that that's kind of what's going to happen with my playthrough of death stranding. I saw on Twitter recently, uh, and, and I can't necessarily fault anyone for doing this, but, uh, some people who bought it, who immediately returned it, they gave it a shot at least, but they couldn't get over the gameplay and the gameplay is a little frustrating at times, but I think it's also, 
it's different. It's not like a game. I haven't played a game like this and, and kind of the biggest criticism people have made of it so far is that it's basically a walking simulator, which isn't wrong because your, your character is basically a delivery man. You're taking stuff from point A to point B. Um, but it's not easy. It's, it's very difficult. You have so much cargo you can actually carry on you without, uh, causing more issues while walking uh, some places are, you need to build a ladder or build a bridge to get across, like even just crossing through like a, uh, a stream of water can be a little bit difficult for you. You also have to worry about the condition of your shoes. Cause if they, uh, get destroyed, then like you're going to start hurting your character. Um, and it's got this weird kind of connection with like social media. Whereas, you know, if you're building something within the world, it's got it does have multiplayer in that sense where uh, stuff that everyone who owns the game they create within the game world is there for everyone else that's playing it and uh, you are able to like that structure if it especially if it helps you out and so there's kind of a social media aspect to it as well um, and so far kind of what I've gleaned I, I'm about five to six hours in I'm on episode I think three of the game so far. Um, your character, Sam, uh, played by Norman Reedus is tasked with connecting the country together again. There's this thing called the chiral network and your goal is to move from the East coast all the way out to the West coast and hitting these points, these cities, uh, and reconnecting them to the network. And, uh, there are like separatists, there are terrorists, there are these things called BTs, uh, that are, um, I don't know how to really describe them. They're kind of like ghosts, but they're not really ghosts. Uh, I've encountered a couple of them and they're, uh, definitely difficult, um, to, to play or to fight against actually. And then I, I did go up against my first, um, boss fight with a BT right before we started recording this today. And that was, uh, definitely, uh, stressful. And I'm actually, and I don't normally do this, but knowing how Kojima games are and how I interact with them, I did start this out on easy mode. Um, I, I typically go normal, uh, cause I think doing easy is a little too easy, but my, I really wanted to, to experience the story within this one. And even on easy, it is still fairly difficult. Um, it, it is not the simplest of games. Uh, item management, uh, just even equipping and unequipping items is kind of troublesome. So uh, that's kind of kind of my thoughts on it. I, I, I'm still enjoying the game. So I, I think that that's kind of something that I don't understand why people are having um, this this weird reaction to it, because even if it were kind of like a walking simulator, the world within that they've created within this game is, is really interesting, but, uh, it looks like you have some, some thoughts on that. I'm just over here thinking that you're over here playing a walking simulator on easy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds, it sounds bad when you, when you put it like that, but it's, um, it's, you have like, once you reach a certain, uh, weight limit on your cargo, like, if even if you slightly move to the left or slightly to the right, you have to then hold down a trigger, um, the L2 or the R2, and you have to hold it down for a while till you readjust yourself. Or if you don't want to face that, you have to hold those down and it's going to slowly use your stamina. And um, so it's it's not easy even on easy, especially like placing a ladder and climbing up, or even if you've got to descend down kind of a, a, a mountain path, uh, if you're, you're kind of going fast and if you're not ready to hold L2 and R2, you're going to just crash and then you lose and you damage all your containers and that will affect your rating, uh, on delivering the cargo. So, uh, there's a lot of different factors into this game and I'm really intrigued uh, by the story, I can't explain it well. Um, especially you have the, uh, BB, which is a baby. And I'm sure everyone who's seen a trailer for, for death stranding is aware of the baby thing. Um, what those are, those are basically, um, babies that were, um, born 
are not even born, but um, they're they're called still mothers, and they're basically mothers that are in comas, and they uh, extract the baby and use them to help detect BTs. They keep them in these little containers that they can't survive outside of. And, um, with your particular BB, because you get it from, uh, someone at the very beginning of the game who it's originally connected to, um, and you have these things called dooms, uh, that I can't even explain those, uh, cause I don't fully understand it. I haven't been able to use it per se or whatever, however it affects the gameplay. But, uh, your that BB is considered defective at the very beginning of the game, but Sam is really connected to it. Uh, cause he does put it on after a, a thing at the very beginning of the game and has a connection with it and won't, uh, stop it or does stop it actually from, uh, getting destroyed at the beginning of the game. And so, when he connects with it too, he also gets kind of some flashbacks to basically the creation of that BB where you're kind of introduced to mad, mad Mickelson's character, which another actor that I love and I'm happy to see in this game. And this game has a really good cast too. Like I said, it's got Gilmero del Toro. You got Norman Reedus, uh, Leia Sado is in it. Um, and, uh, Troy Baker is there as well. Um, so that's just some of the, some of the few actors, they got some really big, you know, name presences, uh, and the graphics on it are just absolutely amazing. It was one of the games that, uh, made me, um, disconnect my, uh, PSVR, uh, unit from it so I could actually play the game with HDR on there. So that's all I got to say about it for now. Um, it's probably one game that, it's going to take me a while to beat because uh, I'm only going to want to play it in spurts, like kind of like Red Dead Redemption 2. Although I loved every facet of the game, it was a game that I could only play for maybe 30 to 40 minutes at a time, and then I'd have to switch out to something else. So um, with that said, we're going to go ahead and, t- and talk about um, the Google Stadia launch, which is launching on uh, November 19th. And I am probably going to be someone of a different opinion on this um, than most people. Pat, do you have any thoughts on on the Google Stadia? So I don't have too many thoughts on it. I do understand that it's trying to kind of be a cost-effective console at this point. Um, It's one of those things where are you really going to get the best quality of gaming experience for what you're getting. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, trying to be a, um, a pioneer in the forefront of where gaming's going to go. I've heard a lot of people talk about this, uh, rich, at, uh, review tech USA, I believe is his YouTube channel has talked about it. He believes that, you know, that's kind of what's going to happen with, um, gaming in the future. But, uh, you know, I, there, so a lot of stuff has kind of come out there. Uh, I've seen a lot of YouTube videos. I've seen a lot of people talking about it, that the Google Stadia is going to be kind of dead on arrival. And uh, I've got it pre-ordered. Um, and I'm hoping, because this is another issue that I saw a lot of people talking about, um, apparently not everybody's going to get it. They're not going to ship it all at the same time. I'm hoping, since I have the Founders Edition pre-ordered, which was their first edition of it, versus the Premier Edition, which was because they had... Um, they had uh, sold out basically of the founders edition that I'll get the founders edition ahead of, you know, at the same time as everyone else that pre-ordered the founders. Um, But I think that I want to give it its fair due. I know that it's going to have some launch troubles. Um, They've already talked about that. They're not going to have all the games that they were talking about being released. Um, that the, apparently the buddy pass, uh, which you were going to take it, you are going to take advantage of, uh, from me, uh, is not going to be available right away at launch. Um, that it may not stream 4k HDR 60 frames per second, um, right at launch, even though you're paying that 10, $10 a month, um, fee to be able to do that. And the free version of it doesn't come out until 2020. Um, I was very hesitant. I I almost decided to go in and cancel my, my pre-order, but I think I'm going to give it a fair shot. Um, and, and 
Rich at Review Tech again brought this up, and this is a good point and um, one I want to address, at least from my perspective of it. Uh, so say, um, because you're still for certain games from AAA developers, you're going to have to still pay 60 bucks for the game. And um, so say you go ahead and you buy $2,000 worth of video games for you know two years or something for however long, and Google decides they're going to scrap the Stadia, what does that mean about your games, the games you paid for? Because you don't own them, uh, you really don't own them uh, digitally, and you don't really own them physically because they're it's cloud based gaming, so it's just out there on the cloud. Whereas, you know, digital, it's on your digital library. You can download it to your hard drive um, and disc. Obviously, you own the disc. Um, and would Google then basically reimburse everyone who spent money on games uh, from AAA developers? And I don't necessarily think I wouldn't necessarily see them doing that. Um, and that, that is a concern. But for me, I think if it's a AAA game that I really want, um, I'm still going to be buying that for my mainstream consoles, for my Xbox or for my PlayStation or for my Switch. Um, if it's a game I'm really going to want to own, it's going to be done either digitally through them or uh, physically through Amazon. Um, so I'm going to be using primarily the Stadia for... Um, trying out games that I may not be sure about, uh, especially if it's one that's because uh, there's supposed to be a free game a month, um, a part of that kind of ten ten ninety nine uh, mem- or nine ninety nine membership, and um, I do like the concept of being able to play on my MacBook or on my TV or on my uh, phone. And there's also some, you know, other stuff that they're talking about that uh, you won't be able to do it. Wire, uh, use the wireless controller with your laptop at launch uh, that you will have to have it plugged into the USB-C uh, type uh, adapter. Um, but these are all kind of minor things because I'm primarily planning on playing it on my TV anyways if I'm going to play it. So as long as I have the wireless functionality with my controller for my TV, then I'm okay there. Um, now I plan where I would primarily plan on probably using this is if I'm on, um, vacation or I'm traveling, um, and being able then to play on my phone, uh, or on my, my PC or my, my MacBook, uh, or on my Android tablet, uh, as long as those functionalities are there at some point, I'm not expecting them to be there at launch, um, as long as it happens, I'll be okay. But I, I can understand people's trepidations, but I don't want to say it's going to be dead at arrival because it's a new technology. It's, it's a new way of trying things. Um, we're starting to see cloud-based gaming really happening and a subscription-based service to games happening. And really when it comes to, um, you know, console alternative, this is going to be cheaper than paying what the new PS five is going to cost when that launches next uh, holiday season. So I, I don't want it to fail uh, much like many of this, the new streaming services that are all coming out. I, I don't want necessarily any of them to fail. They're going to, but I don't think we should be rooting for failure. And I think a lot of people are rooting for the Google stadia to fail. Um, and I, I, I don't think that that's a, uh, that's something we should be cheering for. We need to be able to grow. We need to be able to evolve. We need to be able to accept these, uh, new ideas and means of, uh, expanding the way we game and, and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I still am going to go ahead and stick with my, my pre-order. I'm going to, um, you know, talk about it, uh, you know, on a future podcast episode when it comes out and how my experience is with it. So, uh, that's just my thoughts on that. Do you have any final thoughts on the Stadia? I, I think the biggest hurdles that it's going to have is trying to change a generation of gamers that have always bought the same consoles over and over again. Uh, some buying both consoles and some also having their uh, their new PCs that they've been building, especially with how quickly the PC technology has been advancing. I think that 
a lot of gamers that have the spare cash usually use it to spend on a on a desktop. Um, but it's going to be having to change people's attitudes about the consoles themselves. Yeah, to I, uh, I really get to really get a uh, a fan base for it. I, I agree, and I, I think that that's uh, that's something also that isn't just I think uh, isolated to the gaming industry. You look at uh, kind of the comments that uh, Steven Spielberg has made about Netflix and streaming services. Yet it's funny. He, you know, attacks Netflix for not having real movies, but then he signs a deal to do a series for Apple TV. So there's a little bit of a hypocrisy there. And I think like with Martin Scorsese's uh, uh, comments about comic book movies, um, that there's this kind of old guard that isn't willing to adapt with change. Whereas for me, just being a fan of of games, of um of cinema, uh, you know, of television, I, I, I'm just excited to see us growing and evolving. Now, one thing where I might be a little bit too old guardian, and that's because uh, I just have really issues. Books, you know, and comic books, like I kind of prefer them still to be printed versus digital. There's there there's just something about that that I'm so old school on that I still prefer a physical copy of a book versus a digital version. But I think you're you're spot on there that it's. It's kind of having to break that old guard mentality of what's superior, what's what's uh, functioning, what's non-functioning, and uh, let's you know see where this is going to go because eventually, it, I mean, at some point, you know, when we get to like Blade Runner type technology, it'll be just programmed right into our brains, and we'll be experiencing it that way. And you know, who knows where this will lead, but. Um, I'll definitely be talking about the Stadia when it comes out and my hands-on experience with it when uh, when I get to test it out. So, And you're also, really, with your paying uh, $120, I think, for the Founders Edition, maybe $130, um, the normal, and you're getting the Chromecast Ultra. And I believe, if I'm if I'm really thinking about this correctly, the Chromecast Ultra is about that cost anyways. So you're really just kind of paying for a Chromecast. Even if you don't end up using it for the gaming aspect, now you have Chromecast. So now you have like your Fire TV or an Apple TV or Roku. So, I mean, you might lose on one aspect of it, but you might be just gaining on another aspect of it. So... Uh, that's all I got to say about that. So uh, I'm really excited because you have finally now started to watch Titans on DC streaming service. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you for a little bit and uh, hear your thoughts. I know you're only about four episodes in, but what are your thoughts on, on Titans right now? So my my initial thoughts uh, of the series is that the story has been building very well. Um, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. I know they set the bar for violence uh, very high, which I'm actually uh, excited to see because you don't usually get that when you're dealing with shows like this. The, the any DC show up and up till this point has been uh, how how should I put this? Same. Let's go with uh, with kid gloves on. Yeah. <laughs> um, because everything's on on uh, CW, and it's all they they all have about the same level of uh, violence in them. Yeah, maybe, maybe Arrow a little bit more than the rest, but it's all about the same level. Right. Um, but you you go into watching Titans and just watching that first fight scene, <laughs> Dick dragging the guy's face across the broken glass of the window. And you're just like, okay, this, this just <laughs> got real. <laughs> um, but I think that they've been, done a really good job of building characters right from the start. Um, and I'm just excited to see where it ends up Well, I'm glad, going. I'm glad you're having that type of experience with it. Because I remember, and and, uh, and I know you, uh, you had some trepidations back when the first trailer for the first season kind of launched. Uh, and I did too. I mean, I didn't. There are certain things uh, I wasn't liking about it, even like we were seeing set pictures of how uh, Corey looked with kind of her her uh, 
well, just going to say it like her hooker get up, uh, you know, her big fur coat and kind of the very tight get up she wears uh, for most of the, actually pretty much all of season one. Um, you, you know, you hit on something that I think that a lot of people aren't re- actually really appreciating and, and some people aren't appreciating it about season two because I, I did, uh, it did get announced that they're renewed for a season three, which I am ecstatic for. Um, but some people are complaining that they're, they're doing too much character building, that they're introducing too many characters and that they're not really focusing on these great story arcs. And my, I have a disagreement there. Like I, that was a lot of complaint about season one that they, well, for it being called Titans, they aren't really doing anything as Titans. Well, I'm like, well, you've got to introduce Dick. Yeah. We may all know him from the comic books, but they're also making this for, for lack of a better term, normies. Um, you know, people that don't necessarily read the comic books might know who Dick Grayson is, but, um, kind of to foreshadow something that happens in season two, they, with everything we've gotten from season one, I just watched, um, this was last week's episode, uh, well from two weeks ago, technically, cause they have their new one, uh, this, this past Friday. Um, uh, and they actually kind of show, um, and not to get a little spoilerly, but this might be a little bit spoilerish. Uh, but inspiration for Dick to come, be called Nightwing. Okay. Um, now we haven't seen Night- him as Nightwing or anything, uh, but you you see they set it up so well that they can they provide kind of a context for why he would choose that name uh, from Robin. And, um, and a lot of this is actually all been about Dick and kind of his past with the old Titans, um, which really kind of was the, a little bit of the focal point of season one of him kind of starting the team up, up again. And season two has kind of been dealing with the demons of that past. And, uh, a lot of this has been Dick's journey and, and I, I, I got kind of upset with people going, well, they're just building up characters. They're introducing characters. Well, that's how you build up a show. That's how you can't just go Titans in episode one and they're all a go happy, go lucky team or anything like this. This isn't the Cartoon Network TV show. So um, I, I've liked what they've done with Corey. I've liked what they've done with Gar. I've liked what they've done with Raven. And and we also got the great uh, and you haven't gotten there yet but the great introductory episode for doom patrol, which then led to its series, which is bit was another fantastic series. And, um, I'm, I'm really happy that you're having a very positive experience with it. So it's definitely a streaming service and a streaming show that I definitely want to see continue on. Um, you know, going back to what I was saying about people wanting these services to fail. A lot of people think that the DC universe, you know, streaming service is going to fail. I think if anything, it's going to more get enveloped into HBO max, which I'm fine with as long as I can still access those DC shows, or at least that they still continue to make them. Um, but I think that's going to do it for us kind of talking about Titans. Uh, we'll, you know, come back to it once you're all caught up. Uh, you know, season two is about to end in a couple of weeks. And, uh, I know you'll burn through it pretty quick. Um, cause there's a lot of stuff in there. I know you're going to like, uh, so now we're going to move into our review of Joker. Um, this might be a little bit of a brief one. Uh, this episode's kind of run a little bit long as it is, and we still got more recording to do afterwards. So, um, Joker, uh, you know, starring Joaquin Phoenix, directed by and written by uh, Todd Phillips, uh, is kind of the origin story for the Joker character. And uh, we have Arthur Fleck who is um, a man who is mentally broken, I would say. Uh, He definitely has issues, uh, tries to be a good person, is taking care of his alien mother, and the world just starts kind of breaking down around him, and he, or we as the audience, kind of view his descent into madness and becoming kind of the iconic character that we all know and kind of love, who's probably the most beloved villain of the Batman franchise and probably of, of all of DC. I mean, I don't know of too many people who go, yeah, I don't like the Joker. So, um, 
I was uh, I was skeptical about this movie. I I don't know about you. What what were what were your thoughts when Joker got announced? Initially, I didn't know exactly what to expect, especially after our uh, our last Joker. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about that, but. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what they had planned because of how the the characters 99% of the time introduced to us it, across the board. It's always Batman causes the Joker to happen, right. and whereas this is not exactly the same thing. Right, yeah, and uh, you know, I remember uh, when they announced Joaquin Phoenix uh, – as as the Joker, I was like, eh, I, I don't I don't know how I feel about that, and uh, I wasn't really sure, especially with this kind of being set back uh, in the early '80s, um, that there was not going to really be any Batman involvement in the uh, in the movie. Um, that we just in that we were getting um, basically. A young Bruce Wayne, uh, you know, very young Bruce Wayne, and then uh, kind of more um, dealings with uh, Thomas Wayne and Gotham in of itself. And uh, I I just uh, I wasn't sure what to think about it. And then they kind of released that um, that kind of test footage showing Joaquin Phoenix. And then by the end of it, it flashed the uh, Joker makeup on his face. And I was like, okay, this this might actually be good. And then the trailer came out and uh, I was, you know, intrigued by the trailer and uh, then hearing kind of the stuff from the film festivals it was playing at. And it won. Uh, oh, God, what was it? It was the Silver Lion, Lion or something. It won some very prestigious award um, at the film festivals about two months before it released. And so I made sure I was going to get out and see it. And. I, I couldn't look away from the screen. My brother and I both uh, went and saw it together and he and I uh, both enjoyed the film so much. And we, the, the film is uncomfortable. I mean, and it, it's meant to be uncomfortable. You're I, I, the one scene that always will stick out in my mind is um, he comes out on the couch, his mom's sitting in the chair and Thomas Wayne's on the television. And he kind of, He's got a cigarette, I think, in his mouth, and he leans back in the couch, and you just see kind of his emaciated, you see his rib cage, and his, like, stomach is, like, sunk in and everything, and it's just, like, it hurt, like, his sternum is popping out from, you know, the skin, and it's, like, it's just uncomfortable, um, but he plays it so well, and I think kind of the, um, and we might get a little spoiler on this um, discussion and review, it's been out for a while now, so I'm not too worried about anything that kind of comes out. But if you haven't seen the movie, uh, go ahead and stop the podcast. Go out, see it. I mean, like we talked about the, at the beginning of the show, it's just crossed the billion dollar mark. Um, they're talking about doing a sequel. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is definitely down for doing a sequel, and I'm intrigued to see where that would go. Um, but just how. Uh, how you actually empathize with him, but you know, you shouldn't empathize with him, but you also, it's kind of the, um, the revenge of the Sith, uh, kind of feeling like, you know, Anakin's going to become Darth Vader, but you don't want him to become Darth Vader. Like you, you like him who he is and you're like, you're kind of hoping you're kind of rooting for Arthur to not, um, go down this, this well of madness, and and then, of course, you catch yourself because you're like, well, he's not really a good guy either. Uh, and he kind of just um, I don't know. There, there's just something about this. And uh, there's one thing that I think that they wrote intentionally into this film. And you can tell me if you caught this or not. Um, I think that they set it up that this movie, if it failed, if it was complete garbage, if no one liked it. Um, that they could have said that this really wasn't a Joker movie. And what I mean by that um, is when you get to the end of this movie and you have him being in the asylum 
talking to the psychiatrist who happens to look like an older version of his social worker from earlier on in the film. Was this all in his head? Was this just a man out in actually the real world who was influenced by television, comic books, uh, movies, uh, and he kind of created this persona within his head. He created this whole narrative inside his head because uh, you're kind of left wondering at the end of the movie, did everything we just see on the screen real? And and that's actually a very important tenant to the character of Joker himself, because if you go back to uh, the Alan Moore's uh, The Killing Joke, uh, the whole bit is you're getting his origin story. But when you get to the end of the the graphic novel, he goes, well, I remember it one way. Sometimes I remember it another way. If you're going to have a past, why not make it multiple choice? So even like what you're told in that graphic novel being his origin story, you don't even know if that's real. So like, I I liked that kind of aspect and that kind of subtlety to it because there's a lot of moments within the film uh, that we're, we're seeing that we're to believe is actually happening that we are revealed later to not happen. That's definitely a, uh, a good observation there, especially since there's earlier parts in the movie where he thinks that one thing is happening and then it's a completely different thing that's going on, actually going on. Um, especially when he's like trying to, um, trying to get with that, that girl that lives in the same building as them. Mm-hmm. Like he's seeing it from a completely different lens than what's actually happening. Right. And you know, when we got to those moments, I, I, I kind of questioned it because I was like, um, you know, I wasn't too sure. Like they had that one interaction on the elevator and all of a sudden they're, they're now uh, she's coming to the comedy club to listen to him do stand up. Now they're going out to the diner to eat. Uh, she's there at the hospital when when uh, his mom has the stroke. It doesn't necessarily like it. It felt real, like obviously we're seeing it on the screen, but like to me, I'm sitting there going, I, I don't know if I, I actually believe that this is is real. Like this doesn't seem like they would have had this just super strong connection just because of their one interaction on the elevator. Um, so I, I did like that aspect to it a lot. And I, um, I think that that was very, very intentional. And, um, and I also like, Consider we just talked about Martin Scorsese a little bit and some of his comments he's made about, uh, the Marvel movies, um, this it feels like a Scorsese film. Like this feels like Taxi Driver. Uh, I haven't seen King of Comedy, but I've heard a lot that that's a, that was an influence for this one. Uh, and of course, you got Robert De Niro in it. But uh, you know, it kind of like you've got this unhinged character who feels like the world has slighted him, and in some ways, it, it has. Um, and I also like, and and I know I've said it on the podcast uh, here before not getting into politics or anything, but, um, there was, you know, some political stuff that was kind of following, um, up before the release of this movie. Uh, people were worried about stuff that was going to happen here. Um, but then when you get and you're watching the movie and you know, he's kind of inspired this political uprising. And then when, um, he gets asked like, well, you know, is this, is this political? And he goes, no, like even his even he himself as a character is just like, this is about me. This is this, I don't care what's going on with the rest of the world. Like, I don't care. I influence this movement. Um, but it was just him trying to correct what he felt was a wrong in his life. And and I, I I found that really intriguing and really interesting. I don't know about you. I thought it was funny that. The, the media did kind of hype it up to be this is going to cause violence and all that's come from it is people are going to take pictures on stairs in the Bronx. <laughs> that, is, that is fantastic. I've seen all of those. Um, well, and you know, I, I understand you had you had the shoot, the Aurora, Colorado shooting. Um, we have had 
some, you know, issues where movies have kind of caused people to, I mean, I was working at a movie theater, uh, the weekend dark Knight rises opened and we had the Colorado shooting and, um, we had, you know, heightened security. We had, uh, on duty cops kind of providing security for us at the movie theater. Um, so, I mean, I can understand it to a, to an extent, but I, I feel like that hype was kind of misaligned, um, that there was no reason to necessarily apply it, especially for the reasons that they were saying that this would cause or inspire violence. I'm not going to go into those reasons per se. I'm sure everyone has heard them ad nauseum. But when I saw the movie, I was like, but it's not like it wasn't like glorifying it. It wasn't uh, saying it was a good thing. It wasn't saying that he was doing this because of that. He was doing this stuff because the whole world was really just not even the whole world in his mind. The world was getting him down and he was doing what he felt were was the means to really um to take the world in, in control of his own hands. And especially, I think, it, the, you know, there's one thing that probably would have prevented all of this from happening, and that would have been him having a stable mother and also having a father, because that's really kind of his main drive, is wanting to know who his father is and wanting a father figure to have some type of connection with. And so, you know, it's funny because you brought it up and again, we're kind of going spoiler territory um, that, you know, in the comics and how in any other media we normally see Batman is the cause for the Joker's creation. But in this, we kind of get the opposite because of the Joker's actions and because what he inspires, he in turn ends up creating Batman, Um, you know, not that he kills Bruce's parents himself, but Joe chill is part of the kind of Joker inspired crew and goes after Thomas and Martha in the alleyway and, uh, takes, uh, Thomas and Martha from Bruce. So I, I, I thought that was intriguing cause it still kept it real to the comic books origin of what happens to Bruce, but then adding this little kind of twist on its head. Now, my only thing, and then um, I'm going to give my final score. The only thing um, I would like to see, because the one thing missing from this movie is Batman, and and it's it's felt, uh, but I don't think it necessarily detracts a whole lot from it. But when I looking at this moving forward, if they are going to do a sequel, um, I need to have him go up against Batman. Now we have the issue: Bruce is probably about 12 years old in this movie. Arthur is probably in his 40s. So by the time that they would actually meet, he'd be in his 60s. So my theory with how they would do this, because, you know, we don't have the traditional Joker per se. We have him doing the painted makeup is we have the uh, the Ace Chemicals accident occur where his Joker ends up in the vat of chemicals or either he ends up having fostered a son or having a son uh, and, and inspired that son to take on the Joker mantle or having just inspired the person who would be that Batman's Joker. Uh, but I would say that if you want to keep Joaquin Phoenix as uh, the Joker, you have him go into the vat of chemicals because we are dealing with comic books. The, the mixture of the chemicals somehow managed to kind of keep him from aging. That's, and then you have the bleach skin and, and, you know, the clown makeup stuff can still work that way. That's just how I, I would think about it. Um, but for me, even there wasn't really any issues I had with this film. I, I thought it was a fantastic story. I thought the um, direction was fantastic. The score was amazing. Uh, Joaquin just blew it out of the water. And I will go as far as to say... I'm going to hold this on reserve because we still haven't seen him interact with Batman. But my opinion right now is that he is the best Joker better than Heath Ledger. That might get me in some hot water, but uh, I'm reserving that until he interacts with Batman because I can't say that because we did get Heath's Joker interacting with Batman Um, so I have to reserve final judgment on it, but if we actually get to see him go up against Batman, he will be the best Joker 
uh, that we've seen on screen. So my score for it's a five out of five. It was just I, I didn't have any any issues with it. So what about you, Pat? I'd, I'd have to go with the same. Um, could always throw time travel in there, but I guess what what you said would work too to get to get him to go up against uh, Batman. Yeah, <laughs> that would actually be horrible. Don't 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 do time travel. No, time travel is um, not not the best thing to ever do, unless you're in a Flash movie. The 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 Vata chemicals is actually just time travel. How's that work? <laughs> I know? don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing. Like, I, I was having that conversation with a with a coworker who had gotten to see it, and we were talking about that and how how we would get because he mean he would almost have to be in his sixties by the time that they would really go head to head. So maybe if you have him go up against a, so if he's twelve eight years, so if you have him at about forty eight going up against a young inexperienced Batman and falling in the vat of the chemicals. That can preserve his age to around the 48, 50 year old range, which then can make him, you know, if you keep him in that age range, have him at that age when we actually have a, uh, you know, a, an actual Batman that can go head to head with him. So yeah, I'd say, I'd, I'd say that, um, getting Batman like through his like mid adult life, and then kind of having this like midlife crisis where he's kind of like, well, not really midlife, but like quarter life crisis where he's kind of trying to figure out what to do. And then finally going and training under, uh, Rich Agul yeah. being like, I'd say like the earliest you could really start that would be like 25. Uh, that's that's like, possible. Put a third, put thirteen years on it. Maybe, maybe you could say 13. that Arthur is maybe in his thirties. So then you could put him at about, you know, forty three or forty eight, and that would put Bruce at about twenty five if he's twelve at that time of the of the Joker movie. Yeah, that yeah. that could work. I could see that. That uh, that would probably be the earliest because you do have to kind of give him the time to become the uh, playboy philanthropist right. kind of character that he has always been very very true all right uh i don't have anything else to add do you have anything else to add no i think that i think that'll wrap it up all right guys well that's going to do it for this week's episode uh but don't worry we're going to be having a uh double drop this week because we will have our first in the uh terminator franchise review uh coming out i think at the same time as this episode so uh, you guys can look forward to listening to that after this long episode. And uh, if you're not already, uh, you know, uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. Um, you can write into the show at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. I think we're going to try to do uh, a possible giveaway. Um, I'm close to about 2,000 followers on Twitter. Um, we do have Instagram, but it's... I'm very bad on Instagram. Uh, I rarely post on there. Um, but if you also, you can um, follow the podcast on, on iTunes or Podbean and be sure to, um, you know, rate and review the podcast as well as subscribe. Uh, we have the new episodes or should be about every Monday. And then we do these kind of, we're starting to do these kind of special episodes that we, uh, if we can get them in and recorded that we're going to release kind of midweek or uh, in this case at the same time as this one. So we'll see you guys next time.